Good morning, Tabernacle. Thank you so much for being with us. A special thank you uh, for our church family in Manistee and I can say this for the first time, for the little closed door group meeting right now in Cadillac. Yeah, they're doing a little test run. Don't, don't be driving down there trying to get in, you can't. It's a locked door meeting because the devil's in the wires and we gotta get him out. So they're down there sorting that out. But um, change is in the air. And change, in my opinion, if God's behind it, is a good thing. It's a good thing. And I'm super excited. Uh, you've heard some things uh, from the stage and uh, also through emails. But um, I'm really excited that John Williams uh, stepped into the role of campus pastor here. I can think of no one better, to be honest. It, yeah, absolutely. I know we've already said that. But if you know John, you know his heart. Uh, he loves God and loves people. Uh, I want to be like him when I grow up. And no matter what he says, he is first John. Um, I'm second John. Um, secondly, uh, Martin Rizzi, what an outstanding leader. And I'm so proud and thankful that he has stepped into a role, a brand new role. He's pioneering a new role where he's going to be working for all three campuses. And it's perfect uh, because Martin's a high capacity leader. And I think it'll be one of the most strategic changes we've made around here in a long time. And finally, if you haven't met him yet, I'm really excited for you to meet our new executive pastor, Adam Ray. Dynamic leader, has already been pouring into my life. He doesn't even know it. And uh, I'm excited for you to hear him preach because the man can carry the mail. Uh, so that's all coming. Uh, keep your church in your prayers. I think, that's, I think that's a good thing to keep praying for your church and for your leaders. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 10. Um, we are looking at the high point of the kingdom of Israel. It's zenith. It's never, ever, ever going to be as great as it is in this moment. And I want to give you a warning. After chapter 10, it's all downhill. It's all downhill. You know, I know some of you read ahead and, and you're still surprised. And then some of us were like, I don't want any spoilers, you know. You can read the back of the book and find out how it all ends in Revelation. But, you know, we're all different, you know. So in, in 1 Kings chapter 10, we're going to see the kingdom of Israel at its highest point. And so uh, we're going to read the whole chapter um, and, and just try to dial in on what the words are saying. And we'll take a break about halfway through and make some observations. And then uh, as we close up, there'll be some applications for us. And so uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And after that run-on sentence, there's no more breath in me. <laughs> Verse six. Some of you are like, good. Eh. <laughs> uh. We'll be repentance time later. Okay, verse six. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. 
and behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I had heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almug wood and precious stones. And the king made of the almug wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almug wood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. So we'll pause right there. Uh, This is a historic visit. This is a head of state, a queen, who has heard reports of the fame not only of Solomon's wisdom, which you'll remember was given him by God, and the fame of the name of the Lord. So all of this blessing has come to the kingdom because of God. Solomon had to ask rightly when the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, ask whatever you want. In fact, it wasn't the angel of the Lord. All it tells us is the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So whatever that looks like, ask whatever you will. And he asked rightly, he asked for wisdom. And God said, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm gonna give you everything you didn't ask for. And now we see this blessing poured out on this nation because God's wisdom is there. And up to this point, Solomon is getting it right. Now, that's not prosperity gospel for us. Don't don't make those extrapolations there. But in this place, in this time, God has blessed that king. He's blessed that kingdom. The queen of Sheba has heard about it, and she makes this very long journey. Now, we don't know exactly where Sheba is. Scholars will debate it. Uh, uh, Our best guess is it's somewhere near present-day Yemen, which is over on the Horn of Africa, uh, right over there in the Middle East. And she comes to test him, God's word says, with hard questions. And we have no idea what kind of questions these were. Were they riddles? Were they the best riddles that Sheba could come up with? Were they questions about life? Were they questions about science? Were they questions about the Lord? But they were hard questions And when she heard that there was someone with the very wisdom of God, she came with these questions, and it says he answered all of them. She told them all that was on her mind, and and men everywhere know what that is like, right? When a she tells you all that is on her mind, and that's a good thing, that's not a bad thing. And Solomon, better than most of us, listened, and he had good answers instead of, I don't know, what's for dinner, right? He had better He answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king he couldn't explain to her. And so she's impressed by his wisdom, but she is also impressed by his table, by his household, by the temple, by the palace. You'll see, by his throne, by the wealth. And it says in here, there was no more breath in her. 
She's a queen herself. And she's left breathless by the wisdom and the glory and the power of God. In verse six, it says that she said, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. I didn't believe them until I came and saw them with my own eyes. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I had heard. In fact, she says, they, they didn't even state the half of it. And so it's interesting in verse eight, what she's doing here when she says, happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. She's giving Solomon honor. Don't forget that. And by honoring him, she's honoring God. But she goes further. In verse nine, she says, blessed be the Lord your God. Now, we don't know what faith she was. Was she an idol worshiper? Did she not believe in God? But at this point, she's now moved from unbelief to faith in Solomon's God because she's saying, blessed be the Lord, your God, who has delighted you, who has blessed you, who has put you on this throne that you may execute justice and righteousness. And then in verse 10, she gives him an offering. So she came with a caravan. She came with all of the, you know, the animals and all of whatever officials and security that she brought with her. But she brought 120 talents of gold and an array of spices that had never been seen in Israel up to that point. Now, you know, you're sitting here and going, I've, I've got an array of spices on a spice rack. Back in the day, spices were as precious as gold. In a time when you couldn't refrigerate meat, those were important. And so here she comes from this exotic land and she offers him this offering of gratitude. And the last thing, I, I want, well, there's two more things I want to point out. Is One is um, almagwood. I have no idea what that is. Is that a real thing? Like, do we have an almagwood? Whatever almagwood was for them, I don't know if this is almagwood, but I'm super glad that Terry Umler made it. <laughs> Our new little table here. But this almagwood was rare for them, and that is a gift. She doesn't leave empty-handed. It says that King Solomon, in verse 13, gave to the queen all she desired, whatever she asked. And so she shows honor. She gives worship to God. She presents an offering. But even in her departure, she's blessed. Not only did she have all of her questions answered, her heart is clear, She's moved from unbelief to faith, but she didn't leave empty-handed. Solomon gave her. It's just like we're trading gold or silver, I'm not sure. So this is a momentous occasion that the Queen of Sheba would make this journey. And we could say her life was changed. Her life was changed. And now let's get to the second half of the chapter, back to the book. Verse 14 we get a picture of Solomon's great wealth. It says, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minus of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Why shields? Uh, uh, they, they didn't hammer them into bricks. 
You know, you've heard stories that apparently, the supposedly, there's gold bricks in Fort Knox that backs up our currency. I won't go there. I cannot verify that that's still true. But for them, they beat them into shields and held them in their treasury, right? Verse 18, the king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps and the throne had a round top and on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests. While 12 lions stood there, one on each end of a step on the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure, that's okay, pure, yeah, you starting to see a theme here? I don't know if they're awake of Manistee or Cadillac, but we are. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. The last two, I don't know why, (laughs) but it happened. Thus, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew. And the king's traders received them from Kew at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. This is God's word. Now, just a couple things. All we're looking at, and the point of the second half of chapter 10 is to give us a glimpse of what the queen of Sheba lost her breath over. It wasn't just the wisdom. It wasn't just the answers. It was the glory and the splendor and the majesty of that kingdom. And it's hard for us because in 2024, we're arrogant because we've sent a man to the moon. We know that the earth is round. Sorry, flat earthers, it is, okay? Uh, we, we, we fly on jet airplanes. We have billionaires, you know, just you can throw a dart in America and run into one of them. But in this day and age, they did not. And there was nothing like this splendor. The gold, just the gold that is repeated 10 times in this chapter. This was the wealthiest nation on earth. In today's dollars, it doesn't even compare. We could say that the gold, we can guess, was maybe as much as a billion. And that means nothing to us. But in that day and age, you didn't have billionaires just in gold. But we do have a kingdom where silver meant nothing. Silver was nothing. It was as commonplace, it says, as stones. And this is all a result of God's blessing and wisdom. Now, I know I preached this last night, but I was just thinking about it 
because the message changes. I mean, if you stay one more service, it's gonna be even longer. But um, I don't even know where I was going with that. But some of us would like to think, if God would just give me the stuff, if God would just give me the things, if I could have that kind of blessing, you watch how faithful and generous and love God, love people I would be. And it's a lie. It's a lie. Because Solomon has it all. Spoiler alert, he's gonna squander it. And so it's through God's blessing, through commerce, through trade, through, through, through the business of the kingdom doing well that Solomon is receiving and his kingdom is receiving all of this wealth and not just gold and not just silver, but ivory and peacocks. He's got it all, right? It says in verse 23, he excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. We've ever talked about this before. You ever drive south in the dirty south on spring break or summertime or wherever you get away and you see those big signs talk about the Powerball? I've told you before that when the whole family's asleep, I start thinking, hmm, if I won the Powerball, which I can never do because I don't play the Powerball because it's dumb, but if I did, what would I do with it? Oh, this is what I'd give here and this is what I'd give there and, this, and all that's just garbage. Solomon had it all. He was given it all. It's all downhill after 10. And then there's just a little thing that I want to draw your attention to in verse, verses 27 to the end. There's some bad omens in there. Because the king made silver as common as stone, we see the accumulation of gold, the accumulation of wealth. How much is enough? How much is enough? Now, Gold in and of itself isn't bad. Gold was created before the fall. You can look in Genesis 2. It, it speaks of the land of Havilah, where the gold comes from. God created gold before there was sin. So there's some people that like to say, well, money's bad and wealth is bad. No, it's not. I know many people that God has blessed with great wealth because they're really good at what they do. I wish I was one of those guys sometimes. Gold isn't bad. Wealth isn't bad. But when a good thing becomes a God thing, that's a bad thing. Meaning when you take something that God created for our good and you make it your God, small g, I don't know how to write backwards for you, but for me it's this way, right? When you make a good thing a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. And we do that with our wealth we do that with our relationships. We do that with our jobs. We can do that with ministry. We can do that with what we think other people think about us. We do that with our bodies. We do that with our children. And, well, maybe not grandchildren yet. Yeah, and our grandchildren, right? And that's the worst thing to do. Because our children, to make them a God thing, they poop their pants and then they grow up and leave. Well, you tell me. But we make them these little gods and we worship them and our whole life revolves around them. And so that's a bad omen, the accumulation of wealth. But it's not just wealth, it's what the wealth can bring, the import of horses and the import of chariots. 
And not just the import of many horses and many chariots, but buying them at a price and selling them at a, you'd say, well, that's just good business. Solomon, in essence, and I read this in two different commentaries, he became an arms dealer. He's selling nukes to the bad guys. He's selling fighter planes to the bad guys. And as Tim pointed out in his message last week, these are offensive weapons. And Israel was warned about kings that would accumulate wealth off the backs of the people and accumulate many horses and many chariots instead of being dependent on God. So that's just a little spoiler alert. That helps us understand where the slide of the kingdom is coming. Because in the midst of great blessing, it's easy to cut corners. In the midst of great blessing, it's easy to take your eyes off God and being dependent. And so that's just, you know, some little, some little breadcrumbs of kind of where it's going. So what does this have to do with us? I'm glad you asked. See, the title of the message I chose is All That Glitters. Have you heard that phrase before, all that glitters? And you know the rest of it, all that glitters is not gold. It comes from Shakespeare. Shakespeare actually said, all that glisters is not gold, but we've just kind of, you know, made it proper English or Americanized it. All that glitters is not gold. You could say in Solomon's kingdom, all that glitters was gold. So much blessing, so much treasure. It took the breath away of Queen Sheba. And we see this kingdom blessed. It would have been easy for us to be in the exact same place with her. What are we to make of this kingdom? Well, remember what it says, and hopefully by the end of this series, you'll have it memorized. Colossians 2.17. The things before are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. So where is Jesus in this? Where is the gospel in this? What is in there for me? It's a fair question. Solomon's kingdom is a glimpse of the greater kingdom. Solomon's kingdom is a glimpse of the kingdom that has begun right now through the incarnation of God's son, through his death on a cross, through his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension where he sits on a throne today at the right hand of the throne of God One day he'll come back for his people for the consummation of that kingdom that will never end. And this is a shadow compared to that kingdom. And it's a reminder for us that the greatest treasure is knowing Christ. Because to be a part of that kingdom, you have to know Christ. That kingdom is not for good people. That kingdom is not for people who go to church. That kingdom is not for the religious, it's not. That kingdom is for people who know Jesus Christ. Jesus said at the last judgment, many, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not da, 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 do this in your name and do all these good works and blah, 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 even preach the gospel. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. The greatest treasure is knowing Christ. And Solomon's kingdom is a glimpse of this never-ending kingdom that is promised in Revelation, where you know what will be as nothing? In Solomon's kingdom, silver was like nothing. It was like stone. According to the back of the book, in the never-ending king, 
the never-ending kingdom of Christ, gold will be as nothing. The streets will be made of it. Do you believe that? Remember that dorky dad joke? I've probably told it, I don't know, too many times, but it's a really wealthy man who lived on earth and, and when he came to the end, he found out he had very few days left. Uh, he liquidated all his money instead of leaving it for his kids. He said, I'm taking it with me. The old, you can't take it with you. He's like, watch me. So he's got a wheelbarrow full of gold bricks of all of his wealth. He shows up at the pearly gates. I don't know if they're gates or if they're pearly. Um, but apparently an angel said to him, hey, what you got there, pal? And, and, and he pulls back the, you know, the covers or what, holding, holding the thing, and the angel looks in, and he goes, oh, you brought pavement? <laughs> That's not the greatest treasure. Your stuff, your legacy, your reputation, your achievements. The greatest treasure is knowing Christ. In Colossians chapter two, we're told that in Christ, in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You don't wanna be wiser, you need to know Christ. You wish you knew more what to do, how to do, what decision to make, how should I feel about my past, what's going on in my present, am I worried about the future? It's in knowing Christ where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge remain because the greatest treasure is knowing Christ. It says in uh, Philippians, if, if you still have a Bible or a flat screen, just turn over there real quick. I think it's worth it for us. This is what Paul said about the treasure of knowing Christ. For some of us, this is for, familiar, but in Philippians 3, verse seven, it says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know that word rubbish, you know the ESV guys, I, I, I love the ESV translation. It's the most accurate and readable in my opinion. But they kind of copped out a little bit on the word rubbish. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as, the real word is dung. 4-H people, farmer people, Northern Michigan, can we handle dung in church? That's what he's saying. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung in order that I may remain in Christ. Is your greatest treasure knowing Christ? Is everything else dung in comparison? That's a priority check. That's a gut check. As a preacher, I need that. That checked me this week. What is your greatest treasure, John? Is it knowing Christ? Well, let's be about it. Let's be about it. And so Solomon's kingdom is a great treasure and it's full of great treasure, but we're reminded that the greatest treasure is still to come and that is knowing Christ. And the second thing that I think we take from this is what we see in the experience of the Queen of Sheba. You see, Solomon, theologically, is what we call a type, and I use quotes, a type of Christ. 
He's not Christ, but he's that shadow of the Christ that is to come. So if Solomon is a type of Christ, and we see the Queen of Sheba in her journey and her experience in knowing this Christ, what was her response? So if the greatest treasure is knowing Christ, the treasure of Christ results in honor, worship, and offering. The treasure of Christ, knowing him, that's the response. Her path is our path, or ought to be. Her path is the path of salvation. That when someone comes to Jesus with all of these questions, and they have all these questions answered, because if they're an honest, curious questioner that wants to learn all of the questions about science, about origins, about meaning, about morality, about what happens when we die, they're all explained in Jesus Christ. And when someone comes with all these questions, and here's the wisdom and the knowledge of God himself, which is in Christ, what is the result? The result is that that treasure results in honoring God. I honor him as God. I worship him as God. And I give my offering. Hey, can we put that uh, next slide up there? I don't know if they're awake back there. There they go. Yeah, all right. Love you back there. Sweet. But it's honor, worship, and it's offering just like she did. But that only happens if we really know him. Jesus told the story, it was just a two-line parable, just a two-line parable where he said, the kingdom of God was like a man who found a great treasure, excuse me, he found a great treasure in a field. So I don't know whose field he was in. Maybe he was traipsing through the woods looking for sheds. (laughs) I've always heard Michigan men talk about that. I was looking for sheds. I'm like, what are we, hunting sheds? I was like, there's little buildings out there. It's like, never know the building. And I finally, I've been hunting deer for almost over a decade. And I just, oh, sheds. Oh, like, oh, they dropped them? Oh, yeah, okay, I'm still learning. Hey, don't look at me like that. (laughs) Calm down, I went to college, okay? I don't know why I said that. There's different kinds of knowledge, right? We're just chasing Christ. But Jesus said there was a man who found a treasure in a field. He found a treasure in a field. And he was so overjoyed that he went and sold everything he had so he could buy that field, so he could have the treasure. I wonder what it would look like in my life and yours if everything else we forsook for the sake of the treasure of knowing Christ. We say we honor him as king. We say we worship him as king. But when it says that it also results in our offering, you know, some of you are like, oh, here we go, he's gonna talk about giving. Oh, offering's way more than your money. Does he really need our money? No, he wants all of us. Romans 12, what's it say? Therefore, By the mercies of God, I implore you to offer your body a living sacrifice. He wants all of us because that's an appropriate response to the glory, the splendor, the treasure 
of Christ himself. And so we see in the Queen of Sheba this beautiful picture of the gospel. She moves from unbelief to faith. And as she recognizes the true God and she responds with honor, worship, and offering, she doesn't leave empty-handed. She leaves with all the blessing of the bounty that Solomon can load on those camels. And she goes back a changed person. One of the interesting things about the Queen of Sheba is she's one of the women of the Old Testament that Jesus mentions. Just one more verse and I'm done. If you go to Matthew chapter 12, this is so cool, I love this stuff. He's talking to religious people. He's talking to scribes and Pharisees and, and, and they're all asking him for a sign. Rabbi, we wanna see a sign from you. And people today are the same way. Oh, I'll believe God if he gives me what I want. Okay, I'll try this prayer like he's a genie on a lamp and if he gives me what I want and if he performs, then I'll believe. You know, can you smite my enemies? Can you part the traffic? Can you bring the trophy deer in, right? Show us a sign. And Jesus responded, no sign is gonna be given you except the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. He was talking about his own death, burial, and resurrection. They didn't see it. But then he went on. In verse 42, he says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation. Sorry, I'm in Matthew 12, verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. I don't get it, I'm not that smart. But somehow, the queen of Sheba will be at the judgment where every single one of us, whether you believe or not, she'll be there. I don't know why, I don't know how. But according to the words of Christ, those are red letters, they count double. (laughs) She will condemn the generation that does not believe because she came to hear Solomon and she offered honor, worship, and offering. Not Solomon, to the Lord. And for those that don't do the same, Jesus says she will condemn So what do we do with this? It's real simple. The applications to our lives. Make Christ your greatest treasure. That's a reminder for those of us who are Christians. If you're not a Christian, today I beg you to become a Christian. If anything can be taken from you, can be lost, can be stolen or destroyed, it's not worth it. Not your worship. The only thing that cannot be taken, lost, stolen, or destroyed is knowing Christ and Christ alone. So make Christ your greatest treasure. And for all of us, we give him honor. We honor Christ as God. We give him worship, not just on Sunday. Every minute of every hour of every day. Our life pouring out as worship to God. We give him our offerings. We bring him our sacrifices of ourself, of our time, of our resources, of our attention. That's the only way to live. 
That's the only way to live. And it's what he did for us. It's appropriate today. It's appropriate every day. But this weekend, at all three locations, we celebrate communion. And so I'm going to invite, even right now, our campus pastors, Seth and, and Manistee and Isaac and Cadillac, and, and, and I'll lead us here. Uh, they're going to come, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's table, where the greatest treasure, Christ, showed us his offering, the way he offered his honor and his worship to God, his Father, by giving himself.